You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Have you ever wanted to chat with a CIA analyst about how to spot propaganda campaigns or maybe learn what it is like to be a real-life private investigator? I want you to check out Jordan Harbinger's podcast. He has an undeniable talent for getting his guests to share never-been-heard-before stories and thought-provoking insights. Check out Jordan's conversations with Thomas Erickson about how to protect yourself from psychopaths or his chat with Renee DiResta on dismantling the disinformation machine without fail. He pulls out tactical bits of wisdom in each episode, all with the noble cause to make you a more informed, critical thinker to better operate in today's world. There is so much here. There's just so much here. You can't go wrong with adding the Jordan Harbinger show to your rotation. It is incredibly interesting. There is never a dull show. Search for the Jordan Harbinger show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello and happy Tuesday. This summer has been going by so fast, but it's been a really good one so far. Right on the heels of the boat crash settlement with Parker's Kitchen, we got word that a federal judge in Mississippi had issued a half a million dollar judgment against a woman in Michigan known online as the Critical K for the online harassment and defamation of a mother who was simply trying to find answers about her son's suspicious death. I was so happy to hear the dollar amount on that because of the message it sends and because of the battle we have ahead of us holding trolls like the Critical K accountable for the lies that get told about victims and those trying to bring truth into the light. Also on today's episode, we talk about good old Russell Lafitte, who will finally be sentenced soon in federal court for his role in Alec Murdoch's financial crimes. Neither Liz nor I could believe our ears when Eric told us what he suspects Russell's prison experience will look like. It is yet another part of the justice system that shows just how different the experience can be when you have money and access to power. So let's unpack it. Cups up, guys. Cups up. Happy Saturday. Cups up. Happy Saturday. You okay, Eric? I am okay. Good. Good. Mandy, you doing all right? I'm good. We have Greg, Greg Leone's funeral on uh, Monday, Sunday nights, the viewing. And so Monday I have the, uh, um, I'm making the eulogy. And uh, I think I'm going to offend some of the Catholics there because I'm going oh. to say that I believe that Greg Leone, notwithstanding what he's done his last two acts on this earth, I think he's gone to heaven. So it'll be interesting. That's how I'm going to kind of open it up. Let me just dress this once and for all. Greg Leone's in heaven. I don't think you're going to, speaking as two Catholics, I don't think you're going to offend people because I feel like that's sort of an antiquated, yes, it's, we're not supposed to take our own lives, but right. it's not, I don't know. I, I find Catholics to be very forgiving, especially of their themselves. Oh yeah. So. Sure. Yeah. Jews and Catholics are very much alike with uh, very much forgiveness alike, yeah. and, mm -hmm. and guilt. 
Yeah. So, um, guys, we have a lot to talk about today, and I want to start with an update to a story that we talked about on True Sunlight Podcast and a little bit on this show uh, about a woman named Karen Yax, who goes by the Critical K. That's her online nickname. And a judgment was passed down. A, a judge, a federal judge, ordered her to pay more than half a million dollars to Ray Andriacchio, who is the mother of a 21-year-old man whose death was ruled a suicide, but remains under investigation because of some evidence that just doesn't point to suicide. So the Critical K on her show in 2021 accused the Andriacchio, specifically Ray, of bribing kids, of plying them with alcohol, getting them to change, asking them to change their story, that kind of thing. And then the worst part was she insinuated that Ray was responsible for her own son's suicide, as well as the suicide of a man that the Critical K said was a patient of Ray's. And what ensued after that show was listeners of the Critical K called the nursing board in Mississippi to report Ray. Uh, she's a psychiatric nurse, accused her of overprescribing opioids, which is not a drug that she can prescribe. So it just shows you like the level of deceit that is involved here. And just overall uh, harassed her in that way. Uh, there's a lot of examples of that harassment, but... It was a good day for justice, as you say, Eric, when we heard that the Critical K had been ordered to pay that money. Now, our listeners have a lot of questions about this. And one of them is obviously, and I think we all know the answer, is Critical K going to pay that money? Eric? The answer um, has a number of facets to it. But first, you know, this shows that Internet terrorism is real and that fortunately people who want to bring these cases may have a receptive audience and not only judges, uh, but juries, judges who won't dismiss these cases and say that somebody has a First Amendment right to terrorize somebody on the internet. You know, Daniel Patrick Moynihan, former U.S. Senator for New York said, you're entitled to your own opinions, but not your own set of facts. So when you start to delve into facts and they're false, and you're using those facts to destroy somebody's reputation or harm them, the court will not give you First Amendment license. So the answer to that is this is a good thing. This is a good day uh, for people like her. C Critical K has came after, uh, she came after me, she's come after Mandy, and she's a true Karen uh, in the truest sense of the word today. She is a Karen. And so the question becomes, how do you collect on uh, that type of judgment? We don't have debtor's prison in our country. Some say we should. We fought the Revolutionary War not to have debtor's prison. So just because you have a judgment against you doesn't mean you have to pay it. It's up to the judgment creditor, the plaintiff, to go collect it. And so what you do is you file that judgment of record, and then you would have to transcribe that judgment and transfer it to Michigan where she has property or in any state where she has property. For instance, in South Carolina, a judgment lasts only 10 years. Some other states, you can renew a judgment after 10 years and it keeps alive. Every 10 years keeps alive. In South Carolina, if you don't collect on that judgment in 10 years, it is expired. Now, so what are her options? Wait, Eric, does that mean that you, so you as the plaintiff can file a judgment in South Carolina against a South Carolina resident or somebody who owns proper property in South Carolina, you're saying that it expires after 10 years, or are you saying that the plaintiff- Can't re-up it. 
it's expires. I guess. Yeah. So you're saying that if somebody just if somebody just waits that out, they can just. Now, let me explain. So you have to execute that on property of the defendant. And first you have to get the sheriff to go out there and try to find property that's not encumbered. And under our statute, there's certain exemptions that you have for your homestead. You have a certain jewelry exemption. You have a car exemption and a certain amount of money exemption. Otherwise, if there's unencumbered property, it can be attached same way that the IRS would attach some of your property. The problem is most property that people own is leaned. A house is leaned in favor of a bank. So the bank has first priority. Your car oftentimes has a loan attached to it where the creditor, whether it's a bank or GMAC directly, the auto company, they would have a lien. So you have to find unencumbered property and it's not easy. Now, Critical K may have insurance because if she is this internet person that has a show, maybe she took out a, a defamation policy or comprehensive liability policy. She may have a business, an ancillary business that has what's called an advertising injury uh, section in her insurance policy, and that would cover defamation. The problem is if you don't have that, then there's no insurance and you have to look at her personally. Now, how long was she on notice of this lawsuit? I assume that the plaintiff in this lawsuit wrote her a letter early, early on through a lawyer that said, cease and desist, stop, stop this internet harassment and terrorism that you're doing. It's false. If she then took property out of her name because she was on notice of being sued, like Alex has taken property out of his name and puts it in somebody else's name, that doesn't uh, immunize that property. What a court will do is bring that property back into the judgment proceeding called supplemental proceedings and say, you fraudulently conveyed that property out. You were on notice that somebody was going to sue you. So what, what somebody will do is that you have to give it to the sheriff. The sheriff never finds any property. It comes back with a Latin term stamped by the sheriff called nola bona. Hold on. Yeah. Yes, Mandy. <laughs> Question. So you're saying like the sheriff of the county. Yes. Where the property, where you okay. want it He's to go. responsible for this. He has to. It's okay. a prerequisite for That's, you to go forward. You, okay. It's, it's an antiquated thing and no sheriff ever comes back with property. The problem is sometimes the sheriff office sits on that request to get that Nola Bona. You want the Nola Bona because you need the Nola Bona to then bring her into court to examine her under oath about all of her assets. And she has to bring her bank account. She has to bring her property deeds. She has to bring her car. She has to tell you how much jewelry she has, art collection, stamp collection, whatever. And it's, as you can see, my answer has been five minutes. It takes a long time to make somebody pay. And sometimes people don't want to pay. You can't garnish wages in connection with the judgment. So if she has a job, let's say at Amazon, we could not garnish her wages. You can only garnish wages in South Carolina for child support, not for a judgment. So as you could see, it's very difficult to collect unless somebody wants to pay. Look, you and I and Liz want to have good credit, Mandy. So if somebody gets a judgment against us by accident or default, we don't answer it or, you know, there's a judgment. We're going to pay it off because you can never get a loan. Now, what's the downside of her not paying it off? It's attached to her property. She'll never be able to refinance. She'll never be able to get a new loan. 
because it's on her credit report. So if she wanted to get a car loan or she went and bought a, a, a condominium, no bank will loan her that money. No automobile finance company will loan her that money. Not even a consumer, maybe a consumer, you know, that uh, you buy a couch and they want to charge a 35% interest on the couch over time. But she has to take care of that judgment. Now, here's the beautiful part. That judgment clicks off interest at a very high post-judgment interest rate. So it's usually prime plus a couple points. It used to be in South Carolina over 10%. So for every year that $500,000 judgment goes on and is not paid, there's an additional $50,000 on top of that. Then it compounds. And then you also get your attorney's fees. So if critical case screws around, critical case is going to find herself in critical care with that judgment. And so she, go ahead. Is, is, sorry, is it the same? And this was a federal lawsuit in the state of Mississippi and she lives in Michigan. What mm -hmm. laws apply there? Like is the federal way of collecting money? They applied the law of defamation in Mississippi. Okay. Because it was on the internet. It traveled over the internet. And so Mississippi applied Mississippi procedural law, the federal court, and Mississippi substantive law on defamation. So now they'll ask the clerk of court to domesticate that judgment in Michigan where she lives. And then it's off to the races. The problem is it costs money. And so now she hired a Mississippi lawyer to sue Critical K, Critical Karen in Mississippi. Now she's got to go hire a Michigan lawyer in Michigan to domesticate that judgment that she got. And and this poor plaintiff is spending money and Karen's probably a Debbie because she didn't even show up, by the way, if you read the order, she didn't even show up to defend herself. So that tells me she doesn't, she doesn't care. And look what you did. You were sued, Mandy. You, you showed up guns blazing. You had to hire a lawyer to get yourself out of it. She didn't care. Well, <sighs> But a couple things. And quite frankly, I thought the judgment was low, by the way, just, just so you know. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I do. Yeah. This is a nurse. You're talking about a career where you're telling the world that this nurse prescribes opioids. Right. It, it impugns her professional reputation. It accuses her of causing a death of her child and another. That was the main thrust of it was the causing the death of her child and another critical K for what I from what I understand was not accusing her of prescribing opioids. It was one of her listeners. But again, you know, that was caused by the critical K and, and what she did. Well, that's the design that she wanted. You spread that lie out and you enlist an army of uh, followers. Right. And then they go do dirty. They do the devil's dirty work. Yeah. Right. Well. Like with Critical K, one thing I noticed somebody, a couple of people were sending me screenshots yesterday. She, of course, was still tweeting after this judgment, which is just so stupid. Um, but she, one of the things that she said that stuck with me was no lawyer in Mississippi would help me. Liz, what did you think about that statement? So there's two things. One, that was only part of the reason. I think one of the reasons that she had cited to the court was that she couldn't afford an attorney and that she did not have any money anyway. But in talking to, I mean, we talked about this, I think, last week or the week before. And if you can't afford an attorney, what should you do? And what Critical K could have done is brought up the, the Bar Association list for Mississippi and called recent graduates 
like you said, mm-hmm. Eric, who would be willing to take the case because it's probably true. She probably called around and people were like, yeah, we're going to need a $25,000 retainer for that. Completely understand why that would be a lot of money. But that's not everybody, Kay. Like that's not everybody in Mississippi wasn't getting together and they're like, oh, that lady, Karen Yaks from Michigan, we're not going <laughs> to represent her. It's that you didn't probably work hard enough to fund an attorney. So that's that's my opinion. Yeah, that also that. But don't forget, don't forget. As an attorney in Mississippi, you're a little leery of taking on the representation in federal court of an out-of-state mm-hmm. defendant who you don't know, who tells you that she doesn't really have the money. And once you're in for a penny, you're in for a pound on these cases. Once you enter your appearance as an attorney, this federal court judge is not going to let that attorney out. And federal court is a very serious court. You saw the difference kind of of how the federal court acted in the Russell Lafitte case versus the state court cases. It's, it's you know, your back stiffens in federal court. Remember when we worked in the Judge Gurgles courtroom? I mean, it is intense mahogany walls and, you know, the federal court system. And I don't blame a lawyer. The other thing is, this is what troubles me. When you have a, an irritant flea tick like Critical K, who says, I don't have any money. I don't care. I don't show up. She becomes the most dangerous kind of person in our society because she feels like she could say anything she wants because there's no repercussions. She'll have a judgment against her. She doesn't care. She doesn't have insurance. She doesn't have the money. She'll shelter her money. Somehow it'll get to somebody else. And that's the person who wor- who talks with impunity behind these microphones and destroys people. People like us, they can't afford that. We have a professional reputation. We have mortgages. We have to go get a car loan every once in a while. We do care about a judgment. She's the one that we should have debtor's prison for. Yeah. And the other thing, no, no, no. And I'm with you, Eric. And the other thing, because in my case, I was very annoyed that the plaintiff's civil attorney took on that case because I'm a big believer. You're a civil attorney. You don't have to take on every case. Like you can pick and choose who you want to represent and you can pick and choose what side that you're on. There is something to be said about defense, criminal defense attorneys and that's a different thing, but this is civil court. And with the civil attorney, with her saying nobody would take my case, it's like, maybe, I mean, could you imagine being her and calling around and being like, hi, I am... I'm in trouble for terrorizing a uh, mother of a child who might have been murdered. And I made up a bunch of lies about her and like, and I go, I can't hear you. The connection's so bad. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Click. Right. Like if I was a lawyer, I wouldn't want to touch that case with a 10 foot pole. Like, no lady, you made that mess. You should figure it out. (laughs) Um, I don't want to deal with that, but unless you're a first amendment attorney, hold on. If you're a first amendment attorney, maybe this is something that you want clarity on because you represent a lot of media companies or journalists like you guys or television people. And you want to see how far can you go with statements and come and still stay within the ambit of the First Amendment. So maybe there is somebody like a Jay Bender out there that would want to defend her because in Mississippi, that Jay Bender needs clarity for their other clients to see how far you can take this terrorism. 
Well, this is interesting that you said that because yesterday I had a conversation with Emily D. Baker and she is like an original law tuber. Um, She was a former DA in California. She's a big fan of our show. She has like 700,000 followers on YouTube, but she started off her show as educational like we did. And um, we were talking back and forth about what's happening with like TikTokers and the critical case of the world and in the difference of those people being able to spread information and actual journalists who are in who have worked for a newspaper and work for a company that has lawyers and there's a whole process for when you have to Uh, when you share information, especially information that could potentially get you in a lawsuit. And it was funny because she, she mentioned one thing that was so interesting in the difference between the two. And that was they view every, every lie that they spread, every little piece of rumor nugget information as complete as a piece of content that can get them from one place to another that can that can help them with their business they are viewing these lies and these the hate that they spread and all of that as nothing more than a piece of content where as journalists it's the truth that we are after it is the full story it is continuing that trust but with this rise of the these people are very dangerous the critical case and i guess there's another one named katie joy that i need to get more information on but she's just like critical k there's a rise of these people in the true crime community who will say and do pretty much anything just to get attention clicks views and maybe more money in a more nefarious part of that and which we don't know Well, let's talk about that, because I think if we were to ask Critical K, she would say that her mission is to tell the other side, right? It's to represent the accused or represent the viewpoint of the people being accused or wrongfully accused, what have you. But and that's that's fine. Like, that's a mission. You can have that mission that anyone can have that mission. It's not about that. And I think I think it gets twisted and completely converted into this other thing where people like Critical K and this other person you're talking about, perhaps, where they're saying they have this noble mission, this noble thing that they're doing, but they're hiding under it. And and you can still do the thing that you think is noble. You just can't spread lies about people. You can have opinions that are counter to what, you know, you can say, I don't agree with what so- so-and-so says about this case. I think that they need to look into this. But you still have to adhere to what we would call journalistic uh, standards, truth. journalistic ethics. How about just the truth? If you don't know what those are, buy a book, go to the library. Google it. It's it's really easy. It's not hard to do that stuff. So over and over and over again, we get accused of saying something about Buster Murdoch that we never said. The people commenting on these things online have said this stuff, right? The uh, documentaries have like heavily suggested things, but we ourselves have never said everything we have done has been according to standards. And you know how we know that that's, that what I'm saying right now is true is one, please put the clip up of where we've ever said anything of the sort. And two, we would be sued so fast if that were the case, because it would be an easy, an easy case, right, Eric? So these I think what happens is these people get a little bit of attention in this genre or this world that they live in and this audience that they've created and they sort of get cocky and they start to think like I can say anything I get the more attention I get I can say this oh look at look at all this ha 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 that now let's vilify the person that's telling me I'm off base and that I, 
I don't have this right. So I think that was always the worry for us in the 90s huh? when newspapers started talking about the internet and like, oh, we're going to get taken over by the internet. Well, the worry was always that citizens citizens would see themselves all as suddenly just journalists. Anyone could put anything up and then they're doing the same thing that somebody at the Washington Post is doing. And they're doing the same thing that the little newspaper down the street is doing, but they're not. They're, they're doing something. It's not that. So Critical K might see herself as a reporter. She might see herself as an online personality, whatever it might be. But when you say you're presenting something that's factual, it has to be factual. That's it. Yeah, you don't get a do-over and you don't get to cross the line and only say, well, I was only a little bit pregnant. No, you cross the line from truth to falsehood. You have exposure. I sent you guys earlier this week. I was criticized by this online person named WYK who said, how dare I show sympathy for Greg Leone and his family, but not Buster Murdoch. And how dare I've not all of us has said we view Buster Murdoch as a victim. That, that's what we said. We we criticized some of his out-of-court behavior, but nobody has said that he had any other hand in killing his mother or his brother. Nobody has said anything that he caused the boating accident other than he probably shouldn't have given his driver's license to his brother, Paul, because he knew that Paul, you know, drunk, maybe drank to excess. Which he denies, by the way. So right. he denies that. I just want to add that. But these people just run off with the fact that you and I, or me mainly, have criticized Buster. Never done it. I've said he's a victim over and over again. And we'll be right back. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. It has done wonders for our seasonal allergies. We recently started feeling the effects of spring. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so that you can breathe better. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, sinus congestion, and pressure with ease. Ready to live life as if you don't have any allergies? It is time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Ask for Claritin D at your pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin Clear. Use as directed. Calling all lovers of mystery. Prepare to don your detective hat in June's Journey, a free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. Take a trip in time to the glitzy 20s and play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. The thrill is endless with new chapters added weekly allowing you to not only enjoy the detective adventure, but also to personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits.
I wanted to ask this question about this case because there were 325,000. So the judge awarded Ray Andriacchio $325,000 in compensatory damages. The judge also awarded her $165,000 in punitive damages. And then the rest was $11,000 in attorney's fees. So what is the difference between compensatory and punitive damages? Because I've spoken with the, the lawyer in the Andriacchio case, and he explained it to me, and it was, it was a good explanation. But I just think that people out there need to understand the difference in how the money has been designated. Okay. Um, and I'm a little troubled by the judge awarding attorney's fees because that usually in South Carolina has to be if there's a written contract that provides for an attorney fee recovery or you're suing under a statute. In South Carolina, if you just sue for defamation, you can get those compensatory damages and punitive damages, but never attorney's fees. So it may be different in Mississippi law. I think law, it might so. be different. Yeah. Let's go back to compensatory damages. They compensate you for your actual loss. In this case, she would have reputational damage. So when you, there's four types of defamation there that's called per se, where you don't have to prove damage. If you accuse somebody of a crime, if you impugn somebody's professional reputation or their occupation, if you accuse somebody of a loathsome disease, or you accuse somebody of being unchaste. Traditionally, those are four different things. If you're defamed in those four categories, you don't have to prove damages. Any other basis, you would have to prove reputational damages. So she probably put up and said, I didn't get these promotions or, you know, I was going to have a side business. And because of this, the business shut down some type of economic damage. Then you deal with the harm that is embarrassment, humiliation and anxiety. Those can be quantified, not to a mathematical certainty by a jury because it's impossible. So those form the actual harm. Punitive damages are exactly what they mean to punish, P-U-N-I. Punish. Punish the defendant to let them know, not only can you not do this again to the plaintiff, but we don't want you to do this again, ever again. And so the jury, which was the judge in this case, because it was by default, said, I'm going to put another $125,000 on there. If Critical K gets on the microphone and criticizes this verdict and criticizes this judge, when this thing gets domesticated to Michigan, boom. Don't kid yourself. If she does this again, she's going to get sued again. And now, whether it's a judge or a jury, they're going to get to say $125,000 wasn't enough to shut this lady up and teach her a lesson. So punitive damages are to punish. Compensatory damages are to compensate. That's fascinating. And you can get this too, by the way, Mandy. Whoa, whoa, whoa. If you decide to do a frivolous proceeding sanctions motion in your case, you're definitely going to get your attorney's fees and your costs. If you do actionable claims of abusive process and malicious prosecution, then you get your compensation damages. And then it opens the door to this lady and this USC professor that you could get punitive damages. Let's teach them a lesson. They can't screw around with the Mandy Matinees of the world ever again. Yeah. And I, and I think... You know, I really, after the critical K ruling, because, you know, I live in a logical world and, 
<laughs> and I hope a lot of times that the internet is logical and it hardly ever is. But I was like, man, if I was a troll, if I was one of these people making up complete lies about me, about Liz, about Eric, about Sandy Smith, this lawsuit would scare the living crap out of me. Thinking of staring down a $500,000 payment and debt and all of that, that would scare... Maybe we shouldn't be doing this. And interest on top of that. Maybe we shouldn't be doing... Maybe I just need to hold off. Maybe uh, just because I'm behind a fake name means that I can still be punished for these things. And... It's the modern day equivalent of yelling fire in a movie theater. That's what these people are doing. And the courts are saying, you can't do it. You can't start this fire because it hurts a lot of people and we're going to punish you. So with this case, um, there's a couple of things I want to talk about. One is that it was, I believe it ended up in a default judgment. So even though they had done some discovery in the case, it ended up with uh, Critical K not participating. So they didn't really get to go through the proceedings in the sense of like a jury got to hear this and this is the decision that was made. It was basically a judge got to hear from Ray Andriacchio about what she went through. Critical K did not show up for the hearing, even though the court had a very just strongly suggested that she do so. The other thing, Eric, I'm not sure about the garnishing wages that you had mentioned earlier. I do think that there is something that they can do. And I don't know if that's because it's Mississippi or maybe even it's Michigan. I'm not sure. I know that the Andriacchios are going to pursue this to the fullest, according to their attorney. So this is not just a symbolic lawsuit. This isn't just something to say, you know, good, we, we prove that you are problematic, then what you did was wrong. They want this to stop. They don't want other people to go through what they've had to go through. And then the third thing. So so and then Critical K has a Patreon account. Um, I mean, there's other things out there that I think um, how it was explained to me is that they can attach. Right. And your money in your bank account is not your money. It's, you have loaned it to the bank in order for them to do whatever with. So there's also ways that they can get that money. So this woman, I think we just want to summarize this really quickly here. She's in trouble. She's she's in financial trouble and she can laugh it off all she wants. But this is problematic. But the last thing I want to say when we're accused online of things, for instance, stealing or those are crimes that people are, are accusing us of, right? Would that count as defamation per se, meaning we wouldn't have to prove the what the, the harm was, right? We It just by by nature of it being theft is a crime, you wouldn't have to prove it. So again, it's if I accuse you of having venereal disease, Liz, that would be a problem for me. If I accused you of being a cheating journalist, that would be a problem for me. If I accused you of criminal activity, that would be a problem. And if I accused mm -hmm. you of being a prostitute, all those don't have to prove damages. Society says those are so heinous, you don't have to prove damages. In a weird kind of way, Critical K got off easy here because if this was in front of a jury, I would have put on an economic expert, a damages expert who would have showed her life expectancy is 77 to 78 years under the mortality tables. And this is going to be the loss of income that she is going to suffer over the course of her lifetime because of this, because a lie travels around the world before the truth can lace up its shoes. It's on the internet. It can't come off. We can't, I can't go out there and remove lies off the internet. The other thing is if it went before a jury, a jury would have knocked her so much harder on punitive damages than a federal judge would. Remember, these federal judges are very serious, 
conservative. They want to be measured. They don't want to be reversed on appeal. Juries, on the other hand, they get incensed. They're, they're, they get a collective pissed off. Remember, 12 people getting collectively pissed off. I think the punitive damages award in this case should have been $2 million, $3 million to shut her up and shut up the world. I just hope that, I mean, after I tweeted that, I had no idea how many different cases that Critical K has uh, terrorized. And just lots of different people saying she came after me for this. She came after me for this. Remember when she, these people should sue her. These people should sue her. Um, Sandy Smith included. She accused Sandy Smith a long time ago of uh, taking hush money from the Murdochs. And uh, was horrible, horrible to her. The amount of times that Sandy would call me crying about Critical K years ago. I hope that this, I hope that a lot more people file lawsuits against her. I hope that this war is not over <laughs> against her and anyone else. Because like you said, Eric, this needs to be, seems to be a chilling effect for anybody even considering dabbling in the atrocious world that she is in of going after victims and accusing them of crimes. And, but a question that I had for you, um, the things that I've been accused of online. What about, <laughs> I could have like a long list that I could roll out, <laughs> um, which I'm honestly starting on because I'm, I'm just ready to go after all these people. And I'm ready to get these companies to identify names of these people because companies like Twitter and Reddit, like the more that I think about it, why is it that I can't know the name of the person who is in charge of a hate group that constantly spreads lies and misinformation about me. Shouldn't that be my right to know that? Right. You would get that right in a lawsuit. Remember, that's why I filed the Satterfield lawsuit to get discovery. That word discovery is a beautiful thing. When you file your lawsuit, you have subpoena power and you can subpoena these media organizations. You can make Critical K right. sit for a deposition under oath and be forced to answer those questions of who is your partner? Who is the production company behind this? You send interrogatories and document requests, the same things that your lawyers did. It's a beautiful process. Yes, a lawsuit can be very emotionally draining and financially draining, but it can be very informational rewarding. And you will find out who is behind this. But that's the beauty of the legal system. So while the legal system is daunting, is costly, is emotionally draining, it does get you the right to get answers. If you don't file that lawsuit, nobody has to answer you, Mandy. You can ask them, but nobody will answer you. Right. Yeah. And we're in the process of all those things. Second question. Um, the person who sued me is a University of South Carolina professor. And a story came out in the state newspaper who uh, David Voros, the professor, is also suing the state newspaper for the same thing that they sued me for. But the state newspaper had an investigative story that came out a couple weeks ago about how the University of South Carolina basically cut corners for David Voros. Um, so many 
students protested that they did not want this man on campus because he's been accused of harassment by so many different women. And students were simply uncomfortable being around him. And they protest and protest. And finally, he retired, but he was not at the age of retirement. So the University of South Carolina, an alumni group of something, basically was able to cut corners for him and pay out his retirement. Could I go after this man's retirement? The answer is no. Retirement money is protected from judgment in South Carolina. If he takes the money out of his retirement account and puts it into a car or a house, or he takes it out and puts it in a bank account or buys securities uh, stocks, then you would be able to attach against it. But as long as it sits in a 401k or an IRA, it's beyond being attached by a judgment. And that's why Mandy with Alec with his 401k. Yes. They made that deal to liquidate it and say, okay, we're going to give you this much of it if you don't try to get all of it. Right. And we need this much from our, for our case. And then they came back around and said, psych, actually, we need all of it. We need more of that. Less for you, more for us. So yeah, there's a way. I think where there's a will, there's a way for everything. Yeah. And I'm just to the point where, I mean, we talk about striking that balance and the, the double-edged sword. And I've figured out that ignoring the issue does not make these people go away. However, giving them too much attention makes it worse. But I'm at the point of like, stop them where it matters. It's like they get more more clicks out of victim shaming the victim than spending it on the culpable party or the perpetrator. So they, it, it, we take the position of justice. That's who we are. We take the position we think right versus wrong. The system is failing. This person is bad, should be held accountable. They've immediately jumped to the other side of the position of, well, let's say it's the victim's fault. Forget the culpable party. Let's blame the victim. And that seems to get more gasoline, adds gasoline to a fire than the truth does. Well, it's gross, but I want to mention this. Like, I think what is really rich about situations like this is one, and I say this as a, as a former columnist, I share my opinion that Buster shouldn't get money from, you know, shouldn't be exempt from the receivership, let's say, that he should have his assets frozen. I express that opinion. That's an opinion. Let's just underscore it. Opinion. That's not the same thing. So the, what these people who are doing the victim shaming or what have you, what they're saying is we're just sharing our opinion. And that's that can be true for most of it. But what they're actually doing and the things that we're not, no one is, again, objecting to their opinion. What we're objecting to is the lies that you are, you are defaming people with the things you're saying. It's not, you don't just say, I don't think that Buster should have his, he should have his assets unfrozen. I think his frozen, you know, his assets should be frozen. It's not the same thing as saying, I think this person is a murderer or I think this person person did something wrong. And that's where it really bothers me that when I see that kind of criticism about us online, where they're like, oh, well, Liz said this. And so why, you know, why can she possibly have a problem with what we're saying? They're so different. They're apples and oranges. And that, and that's what I think, maybe that's what it just comes down to is I'm just going to say, this is what my solution to everything is. I say things under my name. Everything I do is under my name. I honestly think as somebody who loves the First Amendment in the way some people love the Second Amendment, I think that everyone, we, we have to, when we buy things online, you have to do things under your name. Everything is under your name. Why are we allowed to have these anonymous accounts or these accounts with these other names? I just feel like we are now, when we're getting into this era of like, 
AI and all sorts of weird things that you can do with videos and voices and such, I think there has to be some sort of online authentication so that you know who you're dealing with. And I know that would change. That would just like be such a cultural shift across the board. But you, I think that your name has to be attached to the things you're doing because all you're going to have moving forward as a society, each of us is our name and, and everything that, you know, if we're all our own brand, well then let's do it. Let's all be our own brand. Let's all have our own name and our own name is the thing that we use throughout. And I, you would just see things, you would see online reviews change, you would just see, I mean, so many things would be different and better, honestly. We'll be right back. As y'all know, we're out on the West Coast connecting with fans, meeting with partners, and having a little fun too. All the planes, trains, and automobiles can be stressful. But do you know what's going to keep me comfy and confident along the way? You guessed it, Viore. And Viore makes a fantastic gift for the people in your life who deserve the most comfortable and versatile clothing. Viore is an investment in your happiness. For our listeners, they are offering 20% off your first purchase. Get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viori.com slash COJ. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash COJ. Not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Go to viori.com slash COJ and discover the versatility of Viori clothing. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The next thing I want to talk about is Russell Lafitte, because we have something very special coming up, which is his sentencing hearing in Charleston on August 1st. And I say special because it's been a long time. Uh, he, This man has been able to celebrate Christmas, the New Year, Memorial Day, July 4th. I mean, he's had all the holidays up until now to be home with his family. Eric, again, we talked about this before, but one of the things that Mandy and I were sort of like, Russell's not going to be taken away in handcuffs on August 1st, right? Uh, yeah, he's going to. Well, they're going to tell him he has a he has to report. So the sentence is going to be announced report and they're going to say you basically, you know, he leaves the courtroom and then the Bureau of Prisons will tell him where he will need to report to and they'll give him a reporting time. So I would think it's probably within four days, three days, which is so much different than state court. You know, a couple of weeks ago, Greg Leone, the minute that they announced the jury came back and said guilty of, of murder, they took his coat off. They put the cuffs on his hands. They put the cuffs on his feet. And we had to argue what the sentence should be. And he was taken to Broad River Road to a prison. And then he was supposed to be evaluated for 30 to 45 days to determine what institution is best for him, whether it's because there may be some gang issues because of his background or, you know, he had testified against Sheriff Metz and there were too many Metz people in the prison. So they, they want to make sure they place you right. In federal court, they don't do that 
with you in prison. They do that in a pre-sentence report that takes about four or five months. So the Bureau of Prisons has done an analysis of Russell. They've looked at him. His lawyers have asked, can you please place him as close to Hilton Head or Charleston as possible? Because we want to be able to visit him. Ordinarily, a judge would do that. If he was a cooperative witness, if he was truthful and he had not lied, and Emily Limehouse had said he lied on his 302s and on the proffer, on a lot of different things, plus he didn't plead guilty, plus he showed no contrition, plus he fired his sets of lawyers, a lot of strikes against him. I think the Bureau of Prisons will be sending Russell Lafitte a long way away to make it uncomfortable for him, to make it uncomfortable for his family to come visit him, that they almost have to fly to visit him. He could end up in Minnesota. He could end up in Pennsylvania, in New York, whatever. In South Carolina, if you're imprisoned for a state crime, you serve your time in South Carolina. So there's a big difference between the state system and the federal system. Plus, there's a big difference. Russell's going to serve his time in a minimum security prison because there weren't drugs involved. There was no violence involved. It's a financial crime. So he will serve it in probably an Air Force Base prison where there isn't the high wires with razor wire and high fences. There's just a yellow line and a red line. And it's a, a pretty good, comfortable way to live if you're going to be incarcerated. Sure, you have your liberty infringed upon. But his time is going to be drastically different than Greg Leone did for those nine days in Broad River Road in maximum security prison when you're confined to your cell for 24 hours a day. Russell's going to be able to be on a softball team. There'll be a track at that prison. He'll be able to get in shape. He can work in the wherever he wants, whether it's in teaching people, whether it's in the cafeteria or outside doing grounds repair work. More importantly, he's going to make a ton of contacts in there because most of the people in that federal prison are going to be Wall Streeters, hedge fund people, big time businessmen. It's it's disgusting. The, he will come out, believe me. I can't believe you just said that. Oh, my God. If he does, if it's an eight year sentence or a 10 year sentence, <laughs> he'll come out with a new business idea and he'll have met partners, potential partners in prison. Stop it. I swear to goodness. It's really ridiculous. Eric, like... Could this be any more like, OK, so you get evaluated like as if you're applying to a college right. to which which prison you go to yeah. and then you get your acceptance letter on August 1st from the judge. <laughs> you find out which which one you get into and then you you get time to uh, go to bed, bath and beyond and get your sheets and your towels and your, you know, pack up the car. And your mother puts your tag on your underwear. I used to have my underwear tagged by my mother when I went away to summer camp. Right. She would do label, you know, the little labels that would say Eric Bland. Right. She put it on so, all my clothes. No, you can't bring anything to prison. You're not allowed to bring anything to prison. I'm joking. I'm just saying it's like college, like these guys. And then you get there and you're networking. You're networking. That is, is so ridiculous. It is true. I, like, what bothers me is that, you know, we could go out to lunch. We, could go, we are going to go out to lunch after. But this man could be at the same restaurant that we're at after getting federally sentenced for his crimes. Like, that's amazing to me. And you can just go chill. and Yeah, the federal government works it differently, no question about it. And that's for everyone. You're saying that that's for everyone. No one, no one's treated differently. I find that so strange. State court is, once you're branded as a convicted criminal, 
we're going to treat you like a convicted criminal. Mm -hmm. Russell Lafitte. And why is that? Because they don't trust you're going to show up. And that's what I don't understand is how do you trust that Russell's going to show up? Yeah. How do you trust that the guy, the hedge fund guy in New York City, who's a gazillionaire, a billionaire, that he isn't going to figure a workaround and fly off to Belize and change his identity, put a patch on, tattoo his head and do a nose job. I mean, Russell, like you said, has lived a crazy life since November right. and he's a convicted felon. Right. And I, I would love to look up statistics of like how many have within the federal system run off or I think that that would be fat or killed themselves or I mean the. You can't outrun the federal government. There's FBI, there's border patrol, there's too much. Right. But Gerard Price was missing for like a couple months. <laughs> And the FBI was looking for him. And then he ended up being in the place that he was born, the Bronx. So I don't know if I, I don't know. It just seems very not logical to me <laughs> that they allow all this time to pass. And they just allow the amount of trust that they put in federal inmates um, to show up to continue the process. I mean, if I was Russell, I feel like I would take my chance on Belize, to be honest with you. Well, it's almost like that the federal government is saying you're a higher grade of criminal than the ones in state court. Right. You're more even though you're a bad person and a convicted felon and an embezzler and a money launderer and a fraudster and a conspirator. You did it in a very genteel kind of way. So we're going to treat you in a genteel kind of way. Whereas the state court guy, oh, man, you're a blue collar criminal. You 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 don't deserve that same country club treatment that we're giving right. you in the federal level. <laughs> sort of flooring. I, I just picture Russell handing out his business card or something in prison and maybe right. I'll be in charge of the canteen. <laughs> like, I'll be the yeah. bank. <laughs> I'll be the bank. Yeah, it's just crazy. Well, well money. He'll loan interest. Yeah, you're right. He's going to open up a bank. It seem, It just <laughs> seems like a, a bad boys club <laughs> division of the good old boys. That's like, this is their little fraternity that they go off to and pretend that it's prison, but it's not. It's just they're just making. Well, this is going to be interesting because it's the first sentence about victims. It's we're going to hear a lot about the judge saying you this isn't Alex stealing money from his clients. You know, Judge Newman, that sentence was about murder and it was, you know, scary. And we all, you know, held our breath when he talked about, you know, sitting alone in his cell. This is going to be different. This is going to be about you were supposed to be a man of trust, a man of society. You had privilege and wealth. You were born on third base. You were supposed to do good in society. And these people came to you who in a vulnerable state. And so we're going to hear for the first time, is this judge going to split him down the head about his exploitation of vulnerable people. It's going to be very, very interesting, I think, the soliloquy that um, Judge Gurgel is going to give. I think it's going to be one for the ages. I think you're right. Okay, before we go, guys, we have something that we wanted to tell you about. Mandy sat down this week with Emily D. Baker, who is a badass lawyer, prior Los Angeles deputy district attorney, and host of a top five entertainment news podcast, The Emily Show. We'll share that full interview with Luna Shark Premium members and talk about some of the concepts in next week's episode. Stay tuned. 
With that, guys, I say cups down. Down. Great work, everybody. This Cup of Justice episode is created and hosted by me, Mandy Matney, with co-host Liz Farrell, our executive editor, and Eric Bland, attorney at law, a.k.a. the jackhammer of justice. From Luna Shark Productions. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.